Hi, I'm Maya Garantz. And I'm Rebecca Cohen. And this is The Sauce, the culture and politics podcast where we drink cocktails and ruin the stuff you love. And in this episode, this very special live Twitter Spaces episode, we, That's right. we are going to be talking about a bunch of stuff, not one specific thing, because we really need to catch up. And basically, everything is shit. Everything sucks. <laughs> so we thought we might as well talk about it live. Well, also because there's always a lag time between when we can record and get a an episode up. And Rebecca and I have been traveling and going to weddings. And uh, Rebecca... We're going to get into that. We're going to okay, get into that okay. now. But we just, we had to speak very directly to all the shit that's happening. We figured we couldn't lag even one more day on some of these things. <laughs> exactly. And now we're going to do the little part where we catch up with each other yes. and ask each other, how are you doing and what are you drinking? So Maya, how are you doing and what are you drinking? Well, I am doing great. I am not drinking and I'll tell you why. I went to a wedding in New Haven this weekend. I was back in New York for the first time since December 2019. Um, and that meant that I spent three solid days drinking so much that I am in crazy detox, seeing old friends, seeing people I haven't seen forever, going to this fantastic wedding. There was much drinking and my body was like, bitch, no. So I'm taking I'm taking a little break and I'm just drinking hot tea. Don't judge me. I'm judging you. Or go ahead, judge me. Judge me. You know I am um, judging you. And other than that, you know, other than the world being a complete fucking disaster, I really can't complain. And you, hey, everybody, <laughs> Rebecca's got COVID. It finally got her. Oh, finally. You're, spo you're, you're spoiling oh, I'm it. I'm stepping on your big <laughs> moment. I'm stepping on your big moment. I'm yeah, sorry. That is, why, that is why I sound like shit. Um, I am drinking a virgin hot toddy, <gasps> which what? means I am drinking a cup of hot water <laughs> because I do, I have COVID. I am recovering from COVID. I'm still... Infected with COVID, I don't know. It's I'm on my fourth day, I think. The CDC says to count your first day of symptoms as day zero. Right. So I think that puts me on day four today. Okay. Uh, and I've lost my sense of smell, which oh, had not no. happened previously. I knew that was a thing that happens. I thought that was a vanilla COVID thing, not an Omicron <laughs> thing. I don't know. I thought for a minute today, it was just that I'm like, well, my nose is stuffy, can't smell stuff so good. But I started sticking my nose in everything, like opening up the can of coffee grinds and like sticking my nose in. I'm like, nope, <laughs> there is nothing oh, there. I didn't even put a tea bag in this hot water because there would be no point. It would be a waste of tea. But um, other than that, things are fine. I also went to a wedding, hence the COVID. I went to a wedding in California. Where I did see Maya. I didn't see Maya when she was in New York, listeners, because I had COVID. Yes. But the week before that, we did see each other. Yes. Which is great for all of you listeners because we went together to see the movie Top Gun Maverick. 
Yes, we did. And we were taking notes the whole time. <laughs> we have great we have great episodes coming up. We have yeah. uh, an episode in our Problematic Fave series. We're doing a great episode on the movie Big Trouble in Little China. We're going to be doing Top Gun Maverick. We are ready to ruin your problematic faves. And we will continue to discuss the dumpster fire that is the American experiment. Yeah. I mean, seriously, we actually already recorded the Big Trouble in Little China episode. We recorded it weeks ago, right before I left for California. And then the week that we were going to post that episode, the Roe v. Wade decision came down and it was like, yeah. well, this feels a little trite yeah. in the face yeah. of all that. And so here we are. We're going to do catch up. We're going to talk about all of that stuff that's happened in the interim or at least some of the big points. And then uh, stay tuned later for more fun episodes about Big Trouble in Little China, Top Gun Maverick. Maybe maybe ruining Disney princesses? We I think we've about? never ruined Disney, and I feel like that's such a giant topic, but I feel like we have to get, we have to find a way to get specific with it. And we are open to your suggestions about that, okay. by the way. So um, that's, and we want that's our to, request to listeners. Like, before, we, before we get into it, because we have to get into it, we have to just jump right in. I do yeah. want to thank our patrons who stick with us through thick and thin, through crazy times and easy times and uh, and who have been sharing their experiences with a lot of the political moments that we're about to discuss, talking about how they're experiencing it with their families, with their homes, with, you know, mm. family with different political opinions, with their jobs. We appreciate you. We love seeing you on the Saw Speakeasy, which is our Discord channel for all of our patrons. And we would love to see you there. So come to patreon.com slash sauce podcast and join us. In this time, community is very, very important. And yes, all patrons at every level get to join us in the sauce speakeasy community on Discord. All right, Rebecca, I'm cracking my knuckles. Let's all right, get let's to get it. into this. Let's do it. So we have a few different things we want to talk about in recent news. And I think... A good jumping off point is something you were saying before we started recording, Maya, which is this concern you have that the right is winning and possibly has always won the culture war. They've always won the culture war. The reason I was thinking about this, because the first things that we're going to be talking about today, guys, are this like week of just psychotic Supreme Court decisions. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. you you mm -hmm. could think it's just Roe v. Wade, but we're talking about guns, the environment. Yeah. Mir Miranda rights. We're talking about fucking Miranda rights. <laughs> like, like it's it's, pretty wild. <laughs> it's been an insane week. And one of the things I thought about is, you know, hey, I'm old enough to remember when Republicans were complaining and stirring up fear about what they were calling activist judges on the left mm -hmm. and like trying to prevent all of these activist judges from getting confirmed. And and I was like, that's amazing because all of these decisions, all these 6-3 decisions do not depend on precedent. They are all being done by these extremist activist judges. And the Republicans always do what they accuse others of doing. Like, you know, if they're accusing people of activist judges, it's because they're readying their panel of activist judges. And they are so 
good at it. And I was like, we, that's it. We, like, they just won. They won because they could make the whole conversation about leftist activist judges. The Roe v. Wade decision is an activist decision. It's based on 17th century, some 17th century witch burner. It's like, it's, it's horrible law. It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing to the law schools that produce these people. And it's like, but I, I think it's interesting that, um, you're connecting that to their previous belly aching about activist judges. Yeah. Uh, because it, I, I don't know that any of their, you know, flapping their mouths about activist judges contributed to getting us in this situation. It's obvious that they were hypocritical and that they right. never believed right. in anything they were saying at that right. time. Right. But they were um, still able to manipulate so, so brilliantly. Really. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're so good at it that, I mean, one of the things that we're going to get into is this this anxiety or frustration that Biden or Pelosi, et cetera, they're not willing to make the big move. And it's because they're so worried at what Republicans will do if they make the big move. Like, that's why court expansion is, is seen as such a political loser. I think Pelosi is a brilliant politician. She she's very good at making things happen when she thinks it is possible for it to happen. But you mm-hmm. see that hesitancy and it's because they know what they're dealing with. And you're like, wow, the right just always wins the culture war. I want to talk about this more, but I think we should sort of thread it through some of the specific yeah. topics and the court decisions. Because uh, I have my theories about why that is and what's really going on there with the right and their um, claims. Right. <laughs> And right. They're very disingenuous claims and their yes. willingness to do theatrical things, their willingness to play on people's emotions and their carelessness with anything resembling consistency, moral, intellectual, philosophical consistency. Um, but let's let's can we just talk about Roe v. Wade? Because that's well, what everyone I, is. I just want to. Yeah, I know that's what everybody's thinking about. But I just want to add one more thing that we're going to thread through is that. You know, this idea that the moral arc of history bends towards justice. And I think it's something that we, especially as Gen Xers, were raised with, like things were so bad, but they get slowly better. And everything that we're seeing in this past week is like just a rubber band snapping back so hard that it's just taking us years back in time. And it feels like, no, we don't bend towards justice. It's cyclical. We had a moment and I'm worrying that... How are we going to get to the next one? So anyway, abortion. (laughs) Yay. Okay, next. Well, first topic really under that sort of umbrella of has the right won the culture war? Do they always have to win it? Does the moral arc of the universe bend towards justice or is it cyclical or has it always just been shit and we happen to have lived in part of a moment when it wasn't total shit and now that's over? Um, these are interesting questions. Let's yes. talk about that through the lens of the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Yes. Which yes. is still surreal to even say those words. I'm still I, slightly in that state of numb shock. Like this thing that I have been thinking about and talking about and worrying about my entire life since I can yeah. remember being aware of anything remotely political. Absolutely. This thing has happened. Yeah. I'm still kind of in disbelief. I was talking to this woman yesterday at some 4th of July thing, and this woman was like, I just never believed they'd overturn it until they released the draft decision. And 
I wanted to be like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, are right. you serious? Like, this is one of the feminists who really believed like, no, this is established. Like, like, I, I guess it's, I find it hard to believe that there are those people, but I met one. <laughs> yeah, there, there must be, I mean, there must be lots of them because things like this don't happen unless there's just plenty of people who are complacent and uh, the the right and the success they've had has been very reliant on a lot of people being very complacent about a lot of things and yep. here we are. But yep. um, one of the aspects of this that I want to talk about is um, I was seeing some tweets today about Biden being very critical of Joe Biden and saying that he hasn't done anything. He has not responded to this in any meaningful way. You know, he's made a few remarks and said, go out and vote. But that right. he's his whole reaction to this has seemed um, feckless, useless. And uh, I'm wondering, because I don't have an answer to this. I honestly don't have an answer. Right. What is he supposed to be doing? What are we supposed to do in this situation? Not you and I personally, necessarily, but like the Democrats. Right. I mean... Wow, what are we supposed to be doing? I feel like the people who've been doing the work on trying to organize people, get them to get out and vote, write letters. I mean, it's, but then voting just seems like so entirely inadequate. And I feel like if there was something to be done, wouldn't it have been done? And that's a really interesting question. Like when we had people in power, why didn't we codify abortion rights? What Why does that didn't mean we do codify that? abortion rights, though? What does that even mean? I, I like, have a problem with that phrase, that actual word, because it theoretically already was codified in the Constitution. That's codified. But like, if if the federal government were to pass a law guaranteeing the right to abortion, that would be contingent on Democrats staying in power because the moment right. the... Uh, right the legislative and executive branch are taken over by the other party, they reverse that. And now we're in a situation where that's our best option is basically the majority gets to vote on people's rights. I mean, the whole point of the Bill of Rights is supposed to be that there's certain things that the majority doesn't get to vote on. You can't vote on other people's rights. Right. Like, the only way to correct that, the only actual way to correct that would be a, a constitutional amendment. Which never would have happened. I mean, the ERA didn't even happen. And then right. I also wonder and we're if the ERA still had happened, would that automatically make abortion a right? Right. I right. don't even know the text of the ERA. I mean, the idea of bodily autonomy, because also, but Roe wasn't like, and we've talked about this in earlier episodes, it's not like Roe was a great decision, It's about like a woman and her doctor and there's still some layer of patriarchal control and like it's about a right to privacy. But uh, is there like premise it on this right to privacy, which is an implied right. And that's a little I mean, obviously a little dangerous because it put us in this position where these activist judges, to borrow a phrase, are able to say, (laughs) it doesn't say privacy. It doesn't say abortion. Right. right. Yeah, there's a lot of fucking things it doesn't say. Right. But you have bozos showing up at Costco saying it's their constitutional right not to wear a mask, mask or right. it's their constitutional right not to have to get vaccinated. So if you have a constitutional right to choose if you're going to get fucking vaccinated, 
how like how can you hold both of those things in your fucking mind? But anyway, I, it seems to me that the constitutional amendment route is the only actual way to actually codify. Right. If that's what you want, you want to make this the right that we believe it to be. Right. I think that part of the reason this is able to happen goes to very deep, deep-seated underlying ideas about women and people who can become pregnant that we have in our culture. And we were talking in our recent episode when the draft decision leaked, we were yes. talking about the impending end of Roe. We were asking sort of like, why is this liberation movement different from all other liberation movements? Yes. In the sense that it seems like with um, women's suffrage, with civil rights, that you've got this sort of groundswell of activism and it built public support and you sort of went state by state until eventually the scales sort of tipped in favor of justice and then there was some sort of national turning point like a court decision or a law or both right you know like in the case of women's suffrage that was a constitutional amendment right but here we we never had that. It's like there was a groundswelling of feminist movement, and then there was this decision, and then we spent 40 years clawing to keep the ground and failing to keep the ground right. that we had already staked. And it was just like giving up and giving up and giving up ground slowly, 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 slowly. Until then, it was just we were pushing well, the cliff. I think part of it is because there's also this like – that's something I've been thinking about since – the overturn is that like, oh, we're never going to win because women are so because too many women, too many of the people who are supposed to be fighting with us are so invested in the patriarchy that mm -hmm. like in a way that um, men are not as invested, even men who believe that women should have bodily autonomy and have birth control and have abortions on demand. Men are never going to fight as hard for us, but women are going to fight so hard for the patriarchy. And That's I was true. like, so we're always going to lose in a way that I feel like other justice movements, like in, in, for instance, in the gay justice movement, like the log cabin Republicans are like, the, you know, like it's, the, the, those are tiny, you know, the proportions are off for women. Yeah, I, I think that's very true. I, I think there's also something to be revealed in the, um, in the way we frame and talk about this. I've just been noticing so much how much the conversation, looking back over my life and this constant argument, it's always been the argument over abortion. Right. Not the argument over women's bodily autonomy. Yes. Or the or people's right to their own bodies. Yes. It's the the question is always should women be allowed to get abortions? Should abortion be a decision that a woman makes with herself and her doctor? Or should the government you know, ban it or regulate it? Should abortions be allowed in most cases, some cases, or all cases? Like, that's what the right. uh, poll questions ask. It's always, should abortion be allowed? Should abortion be legal? It's never framed like, does a woman have the right to choose if she wants to be pregnant or not? Pregnant? That's right. That's right. They, they never ask, um, should the government force women to or people to give birth? Yes. If they don't want to, against yes. their will. Yes. I think if you... If you 
phrased a poll question like that to Americans. Should right. the government force people force. to give birth against their will? Yes. I think almost everyone would be like, no, that's, yes. that's not good. That's not, yes. that's overreach on the government yes. part. Yes, yes. But we don't phrase it like that. We never phrase it in terms of the pregnant person. And it's always their right to an abortion right. as opposed to their right to not be pregnant. It's always abortion versus not abortion, of abortion versus birth, as opposed to, you know, like pregnant versus not pregnant. Right. Well, and that goes with birth control, too. And let me tell you, they are coming from your birth. I try to tell the younger women I know, I'm like, they're coming for your plan B. Like, I never oh, had an no. abortion because I had access to plan B. So I was always yeah. like, you know, and and uh, they're coming for your birth control. They're coming for your plan B. Like, that's part of it. That's part of it. And now you see this sort of grotesque parade of, you know, raped children being forced to give birth in these states that and you're just yeah. like, like this sort of public performance of that is horrifying. Oh, God. And that's another thing that's been driving me nuts is the, um, but a 10 year old. Oh, my God. Can you believe it? This is how horrible the Republicans are. This is how horrible these laws are. And that this is all true. But... I I think it's counterproductive to cite the most extreme examples as reasons why all people who can become pregnant can become pregnant deserve bodily autonomy. Yes. Like if you say, don't you see how extreme Ohio's law is? They were going to force a 10-year-old rape victim to have to give birth. Yeah, we can all agree that's horrible and like even people who are anti-abortion are like, mm, you know, having yeah. trouble with that yeah. one. And it feels great, like, oh, you, we got you. But it's too easy to respond to that with like, well, we'll make an exception for people under 12. Or right. we'll make an exception for rape if they can prove that it's rape. And I would hope that if there are underage, we could yeah. just agree Yeah, we could just agree that it whatever. is. Well, but isn't the, that that thing where it's like, it, it just brings it back to like abortion versus not abortion. It's like we need to make sure that we still control sluts. Yeah, you know no, what I exactly mean? Like, like exactly we it. need to control all these fucking whore slut sluts. And, like, and, like, yeah, all you sluts. You all, do you know? Oh my god, this this old, this woman I know who's like almost ninety mm -hmm. was telling me a story about about having an abortion pre row. Oh and my. how uh, how the nurse, who was this older woman, as the doctor is like doing a DNC, was like, was this worth your pleasure? Oh, my God. Yeah. Like, it has always been about shaming, about shaming and, and controlling the sexuality of people who can get pregnant. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, fundamentally, that is what it's about. It's about, um, are they fucking whores and, or not? And that means that when you focus on the ten year old, it's it's. I mean, you're whatever. Into that, you're you're playing into that. But you're part of me is like, whatever works. At this point, I'm no, like, whatever no, works. I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that because it, it's also kind of like, um, and this is like a, not a great analogy, and I'm gonna put that up front. I recognize that, but it does make me think a little bit of the way when like a black person is killed by police and 
people want to say, but he was, but he had a job. He was good, right. upstanding citizen. Right. He was, right. And they, right. they want, and it's like you feel like you're, tra- you get trapped into feeling like you have to argue that this person was this model victim. Because right. otherwise they're always going to argue, but, but, but he had drugs, but, but right. he had a previous conviction. They're so, point so what to it these comes things. down to is that you, you always have to point to these things like he was an honor student or she's 10 as a way of saying they are humans. Exactly. So. <laughs> but they're never going to be human enough. That's the thing. The, the, the person who needs an abortion is never going to be innocent and unslutty enough. The The black person getting killed by cops is never going to be innocent and undangerous enough. Like, it's you can never meet their standard and it's a losing battle to try and you have to back away from that and be like no we can all agree that that story is horrible but also the 25 year old woman who voluntarily had sex and chose or or forgot to use protection the married woman who already has a kid they also have every right to not give birth if they don't want to Every well, right. but you know who is a human, Rebecca? The, a the fetus. Baby. <laughs> <laughs> it's the baby. It's a baby. Those are humans. Those little <laughs> fetuses. Those little fetuses. So this is okay. something we've often talked about, about the objectification of the fetus, of the creation, of the way that, uh, that you know, and this is something we've spoken about, but also somebody wrote that like, yeah, until men got involved in the baby shepherding business, um, mm-hmm. that, that uh, you know, babies weren't babies until there was quickening, until there was movement, until the baby was what we consider to be far enough along to potentially be self-sustaining. <laughs> like right, the fetus, right. like, yeah, when patriarchy got involved in women and birth giving. And look, I am all about safe births that have happened through Western medicine and patriarchal involvement. I've seen those, you know, devices they used to use and women used to die in childbirth a lot more. But yeah, that this, once this involvement came to be, the woman becomes an incubator as opposed to, because this, this, this being, I mean, all of the law is predicated on this idea that a fetus has, is a, is a human and the person who is pregnant with a cluster of cells. And that's the whole thing. Partial birth, fetal heartbeat, back to all of the ways that the right has over the years performed all of these laws that have nothing to do with actual science are based on the personhood of a cluster of cells. But even even the actual babies after they're born, I feel like are objectified in a way that I hadn't really thought about that much but the extent to which well, I'll tell you what really made me think of this. Yeah. Um, we have a mutual friend who's an adoptee. She was adopted. And um, we were just talking to her the other week when we were both in San Diego about, she was talking about the emotional difficulties, the trauma of yeah. having been adopted and all that that has meant. Uh, and I saw on her Instagram, she was saying she was going to block any so-called feminists who were doubling down on the we will adopt your baby memes. If, right. if people haven't seen them, it's a thing that's going around because in short, there's some uh, quote-unquote pro-life protesters, little white couples, a man and a woman, yeah. 
holding a sign that says, we will adopt your baby. Yeah. And then people start making fun of that and putting the caption, we will adopt your baby on all sorts of humorous couples. And uh, our friend was saying how this is actually really re-traumatizing and horrible to see. Right. <laughs> and seems to be making light of how difficult it is to be an adoptee. And she recommended another Instagram account that I'm sorry, I can't think of it right now, but it's something like adoptees something. And so I clicked right. on it and they had this great little like infographic thing um, that talked about, you know, please stop using us as pawns in your abortion debate. Yeah. Um, and it said one thing that really struck me, which was adoption is not an alternative to an abortion. It's an alternative to parenting. Right. And I thought, I was like, wow, I had never thought about it in those terms, but that's really important. I mean, it's really important for the pro-choice, pro-reproductive justice argument um, to remember. But the bigger point was that adoptees are people. They're not a yeah. fucking commodity. Babies aren't a fucking yeah. commodity. Yeah. And, you know, it's in the language well, in that decision. The fucking in the decision. Baby, in the, the decision. The domestic supply of infants. The domestic, the domestic supply of infants. There is this perception in certain parts of our culture that there's all these wonderful white couples, smiling, shiny-teethed white couples just waiting for a little baby. And right. what's the harm? I mean, there's you just put a baby in their arms and everything's going to be fine. And people I was unaware, really, I think most people are unaware that it is not that simple. That no. actually, not only does it cause trauma to the birth giver who has to give up the baby, you know, who has to give birth now potentially against their will and then give up the baby, but it's also incredibly traumatic for the child. No yes. matter how loving and stable the home is that they're yes. given, they may have a wonderful adoptive family. It do, It's not necessarily going to erase the trauma. That experience of being adopted can be very difficult, very traumatic, and it's a lifelong thing. And people are so fucking flip about it and, and so glib. Like, it's just like, oh... You just, you you were inconvenienced for a few months and then we'll take your baby and everybody's happy. And it's very objectifying to infants. Like, I wish instead of the word babies, we said children or people. Why don't we call right. them people? Right, right. <laughs> because I mean, they are. <laughs> because they are. No, they're just a baby with no, I mean, and that's no I think, where a lot of the of trauma, trauma happens when people, uh, when adoptees end up coming into their personhood and realizing their connections or lack of connections like it's when uh -huh. when like when they're a baby and they're eating and pooping okay you know whatever but yeah we don't we don't see them as future people um exactly and one of and the thing with that i mean so many stories that you hear about young girls who used to go to these like be sent to these homes for pregnant girls so they could like bear a baby in secret and you're like these are such old stories is this where we're going it is i mean i, I will say one thing to that i want to say one thing to that i don't know why i didn't realize this before but in the wake of this decision i was sort of thinking about okay what does this mean on the ground practically speaking for people who can become pregnant in the states where you know they have trigger laws or will soon right. have anti-abortion laws right and i was like but it's not going to be like if these walls could talk 
on HBO where you have to go in a back alley because we have abortion drugs. You can get yeah. a medic, you know, a, a medication pills. abortion. Mm-hmm. You can get pills, and and we have the internet. Yes, like I I wish I had yes. the wherewithal and the tech savvy and everything it would take to just set up a fucking website where I'd be like, here, whatever state you're in, I will connect you with a physician who is willing to talk to you secretly. Well, a lot of the websites from Canada and she'll guide you how to take them. There, there are, there are a million sites like that. And right now, a lot of them are taking a break. They're like, like yellow fund, like the yellow hammer fund in Alabama, who I've been donating to for years. Um, Mm -hmm. A lot of those organizations are on pause at the moment because they're waiting to figure out what they can and cannot legally do. So I have no doubt that they're going to figure out systems. Um, There's a great website, I Need an A, which, you know, people are saying when you're in those states, write it on the bathroom stalls, man, like put it everywhere, like make some stickers. That would be a great thing for us to do is actually make stickers. And every time we have to travel to one of those states, put them fucking everywhere. Um, Yeah. But that's yeah, I mean, that's and I feel like there is that information, there is going to be that access. But right now, everybody is the landscape is changing so much. Even in Florida, there was a some kind of trigger law and one of the courts put a stay on it and you can still get an abortion. But then the state sort of st- like it's moving so quickly. And what's hard is that people need help right now. Um, oh, absolutely. And I understand there are places where people had an appointment to get an abortion, you know, in two weeks time and we're told, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> we have to close. There were so, people in the clinic when the decision came down and they had to immediately stop. It's, oh my God. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's horrifying. But could we talk about some of the other horrible Supreme Court decisions just while we're okay. while we're here? While we're yes, here. While we're here. Um, let's change gears slightly. Um, because this is not the only horrible just There were so many and we can't get to undemocratic. We decisions. can't get to all of them. But no. the court said we're sending abortion back to the states. But you know what doesn't go back to the states? Gun laws. <laughs> yeah, no. Concealed carry laws. The states are going to get the right to regulate abortion as they see fit, but not guns. New York's concealed carry law required people who want to carry a gun to provide reason why they need one. They have to provide some kind of argument and evidence why they need to have a gun. And the court just knocked that law down, just said, no, you have a right to carry a gun, whether you need one or not. Right. So now there's a bunch of states with similar laws, and it's kind of unclear. I guess they're up in the air. Right. Whether those have been um, vacated or what. But that's fun times. That's great for states' rights right there, because I know they're really into states' rights. Of course. And, of course. And letting, letting states do what each state... And also, and also life. And also life. You know? Right. Well, that's the real fun part. The sacredness. The sacredness of human The sacredness life. of life. And speaking that, of the sacredness of life, mm-hmm, speaking mm-hmm. of the sacredness of life, they also just unraveled the EPA's authority 
to enforce environmental regulations. And, and, uh, and I, it just made me think like, Rebecca, like, we've been talking about conspiracy theories for so long. And why is it that conspiracy theorists can't get behind climate change? Like, why are they all about vaccines and like, right wing craziness? Like, I feel like climate change would be an amazing, like specifically around uh, fossil fuel companies and the knowledge that this was coming and the fact that they did it anyway. Like, I feel like it's really juicy area for people to get into. Hey, conspiracy theorists, why can't you just be about climate change? I, I think the reason is that it's just not sexy at all. There's, it's, there's and no... COVID is? It's, I feel like it's at least as sexy as COVID. Okay, but the, no, no, because the COVID thing is so like directly involving you and your like body if your conspiracy is that, well, I mean, there's a lot of different conspiracies around this, but mostly it's like COVID is fake, right? I don't even know what their fucking conspiracy theories are. But ultimately, they all go back to somebody's molesting children. That's the thing. So if we can connect climate change to child molestation, the conspiracy theorists will put it on that? And yeah, we can but get we to don't that. do that. We don't I know, do I, that. but we have to put all these people have a lot of energy and we have to put them to work, Rebecca. We have to put them to work in a way that's actually fucking useful because no. right now they're not being useful. So I, I'm willing to make that connection and to create that picture for them to just the get thing, them no, fucking engaged. I wish that were, I really wish we could do that. But the thing with climate change is that we are all so complicit. You can say like, oh, there's these evil oil companies and gas companies and other corporate interests. And um, you can even, I'm sure most of them even have a good balding overweight Jew somewhere in their board. Oh, we can find those Jews. We'll find those Jews. We can find the Jews. But, (laughs) but there's a way in which we're all complicit and we're all participating in, you know, creating refuse that's not getting recycled and creating, you know, uh, greenhouse gas emissions. And and a conspiracy theory really relies on the us versus them thing going on. And it's just much harder to do. It's much harder to be like, this conspiracy duped me into shaping my entire life around activities and ways of functioning that are destroying the environment. I think that's not a fun. You know what? I I think that you're I I think that you're not clapping hard enough. I think that I think that we (laughs) maybe that's been the problem all along. You're not (laughs) clapping hard enough. I really think that we could do it. So so we're saying the ingredients are Jews, a lack of personal responsibility and something uh, a little bit salacious has something a little there. bit of salacious child molestation white slavery etc all right yeah. let me let me just think about this <laughs> let me think about this i'm going to get to work on it but speaking because the conspiracy theorists know how to make a big spectacle and speaking of spectacles yes this we is have, what we really have to talk about oh my god oh my god the january so, 6 hearings oh my god I haven't really watched. I I watched like a little bit. I watched some clips of um, that last the last day of it. 
with the what's her name cassidy hutchins i watched the whole thing great name i watched the whole thing and actually julia sweeney our beloved listener patron friend of the show friend of the show former guest of the show she'll be a guest again after the first day of the hearing she texted me and she's like i could watch the whole thing all over again <laughs> like she was like <laughs> i am what like she's absorbed and i was I like am le- i am led to understand that they were very compelling Let me tell you. So I finally watched it and it was, it was so compelling that I'm so glad that committee is a bunch of the gerontocracy with even weaker bladders than mine. Cause I literally was not ready and I had to pee so bad. And I was like, but I couldn't stop watching. Like I just couldn't stop watching. So I was like, and finally they were like, we need to take a break. Our old bladders need to, you know, I was like, oh God, thank God. Like it was, amazing and i'm like spectacles are amazing why don't democrats do spectacles more it's so great why don't they own the spectacle space more back to this idea of like uh of the right winning the culture war like spectacles right. man just big there's no better spectacle than a trial like breck talks about it like trials are yes. like because there are rules there's something about the the hearing the adversarial rules. they're setup. adversarial they're very ritualistic um mm-hmm. they and the way this brings us back to the procedural we talked about um mm-hmm. the the muller investigation and and the procedural drama pleasures of it because they are taking all this information that they have been absorbing and staging it to take us through this procedural because it's not like a real trial that has to follow those kinds of rules. They went fact finding, people have to speak under oath, and then they organize the materials in this very procedural way. And I feel like Cassidy Hutchinson's day of testimony was just uh, so far the pinnacle of it, I think it's only going to get more exciting as more and more people get subpoenaed (laughs) and have to be, you know, under oath and afraid of being perjurous. Well, I've I've been burned by these procedurals before, Maya. Well, I mean, sure. But can we first just enjoy some of the top (laughs) moments of it? Like we can talk about, we can ruin it. Some of your favorite moments. Okay. Trump's temper tantrums the day of January 6th. Throwing mm-hmm. ketchup against the wall. Well, he threw and the hamburger against the he wall. He threw the hamburger against the wall. Yes. And and they ask Cassidy Hutchinson, is this the first time that President Trump did this? And she took this like perfect pause and was like, it was not. And you're just like <laughs> So we have this like child temper tantrum big baby throwing food against the wall as like a regular thing um mm-hmm. we have uh mark meadows being told hey um there's an armed mob that's currently marching to the capitol and him just texting away on his cell phone just he doesn't even look up like there's mm-hmm. no part of him that's like oh that sounds serious he's like uh-huh Mm-hmm. To our mob, uh huh, and you're like, oh my god, these people are are these? It's it's everything. They are criminals, they uh-huh. are criminals engaging in criminal activity, knowingly engaging in criminal activity, and it was just it was unbelievable. And that it ended, and this is why last week we reposted our episode about uh, Trump as a mob boss. It ended with quotes from people who would not allow their names to be used talking about 
fear of reprisal and the very mafia-like way that they're like, people have been saying to them, you know, he's watching if you testify. It's like the Godfather too. Like, you know, he's going to mm-hmm. bring your brother out from Sicily. Like, it right, ended right, with right. that because it ended with them. And again, such beautiful staging. It ended with Senator Thompson or the, with the Congressperson Thompson being like, if you still want to talk to us, if you've talked to us before, but you have more that you find you want to say now, <laughs> like the, <laughs> the more they uncover, the more they're going to uncover. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm very curious to see where it goes and who they can actually get to speak to them going forward and um, who will actually comply with subpoenas. Uh, um, it, 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 it is good watching. It's good viewing. But does it accomplish anything really? I move the needle in any uh, way. I feel like nobody gave a shit about Watergate, and they did a bunch of public hearings, and eventually people gave a shit. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's in in that style. I think it will. I think it will. I think it will. I have to believe it will, because that's part of the pleasure of watching it, is believing it's going to make a difference. That's part of why I have trouble watching it, Mm. is my skepticism about it making a difference. Mm. And um, I'm very exhausted at this point from all of these years of, of truths coming out, evidence coming forward, or things just happening in public, and me thinking I have these conversations in my head where it's like, like, surely people will see, you know, Trump for what he is. There's nothing the right could say now, but it never matters. And it becomes so exhausting that I'm like, I appreciate what they're doing, but I don't want to have that conversation in my head again. I don't want to watch it because I don't want to hear in my own mind what I imagine my dad would say to dismiss it or brush it off or mm. justify it or whatever. You know, I just don't want to even think about that. And I can't watch it without thinking about that. Mm. I, I'm i able to suspend my disbelief for the pleasure of it. Um, yeah, and, and I appreciate that's, that. But also, I mean, this brings us, by the way, Liz Cheney is very presentable, unfortunately. I'm sorry yeah. to say she's wildly presentable. She's like just that Republican fucking woman. She's going to be our first female president, man. Um, I mean, they might fucking burn her at the stake before she gets anywhere near the White House. That's the big question. We're going to put money on it, listeners. (laughs) I know. Did you see the Wyoming congressional primary debate, the Republican? No. Oh, my God, Maya. Just look up. Just look it up and watch some clips of it. It's like watching a sports highlights fucking clip package but um it's ridiculous because you know there's like one or two i think there's one serious candidate in terms of polling i mean to say serious right and then there's a bunch of other yahoos but they're all saying the same shit there's like four or five people up there and they ask something like do you think trump is responsible for january 6th and they're like either like no or january 6th never happened or totally deflecting or whatever and then they get to Liz Cheney and she's like I believe Trump is responsible <laughs> directly for what yeah. happened on January 6th as the person like, who saw the shit let me tell they're you like do do you think that the election was the tw- you know the 2020 election was stolen and 
you get every answer from the others from 100%, it was a fraudulent election, to, well, there's a lot of questions and we got to get them answered. And right. English Cheney's like, it was not stolen. It was a legitimate <laughs> election. Oh my God. And it's, it's remarkable. Like, it's really noteworthy the extent to which she stands out as being the only one who is not just vomiting up who won't even who won't even engage yeah she won't even engage in the talking points she's She's like like actually living in reality she lives in some kind of reality based existence and it's like it's like she's pulled from a different narrative it's like she's from a different world and it's frightening i mean if she i assume she's going to win but also, like, Wyoming has, like, 15 people in it in right. one congressional district. Right. Um, and so I don't know what it's indicative of. But she's become, like, a pariah in the Republican Party just for that, just for being, like, yeah, this there is, was an election. There was an election. And Biden won it. And yeah. there was no fraud. And now she's, uh, you okay, know. Okay. So this brings us back to our overarching, our overarching question is the right has won the political culture war. But hasn't the left won the culture culture war? Like we run the culture. We own the culture. Like what is it what is it about this gap? Like we're talking about spectacle. Why don't Democrats do more spectacle? Um Beto going to the press conference with Governor, you know, Abbott in Texas and making a fucking scene and you're like, "Yes, make more of a scene. Why aren't we making more of a scene? Like what is this?" The answer is we Liberals, progressives, whatever, have sort of won the culture war in the sense that we do basically control the levers of culture. We control the means of cultural production. Right. And uh, that's why, that's why, you know what, you can have gay characters on a show and it's not like news. Right. (laughs) Like 10, 20, maybe not 10, but, you know, in the 90s, you couldn't do that. 20, 25 years ago, you couldn't do that. Times have changed, and it's not just that they've changed because of activists and and political movements. Things change because of the culture, and Hollywood does tell people that it's okay to be gay, and, and it's even okay to be socialist. I think that's actually more a, a political right. way right. in which... The left right. has actually made a lot of progress on the culture war. Like you can talk right. about single payer healthcare now. Right. When we were younger, you could you would be you know it was like totally taboo. It was verboten. You could not bring right. up anything that vaguely resembled socialism. Now people right. are like, no, I'm a, I'm DSA. I'm a socialist. Right. Bernie Sanders kind of made that okay. So there are many ways in which both politically and in the larger culture, um, progressivism wins and is winning and continues to win. But there are also these ways in which the Republican Party is no longer and has not for a long time been anything resembling a party of ideals. They have no ideals. They have no platform. They have no philosophy. They have only will to power. And the Democrats aren't like that. I'm not like holding up the Democratic Party like they're some sort of fucking shining beacon of righteousness in any way. But the Democrats have at least some kind of vague idea of like, well, government can kind of do good. And help if it's people. Right. Can yeah. help people. And um, we kind of stick by that. 
and we're kind of like, you know, stick by being basically pro-choice and, you know, they're like, it, it's not to say that the Democrats have done some great job of doing what they're supposed to do, but just to say that the Republicans don't bow to or show fealty to anything except their own winning, their own getting into power. And you but can't then why should that. that impact? But then why should that impact performance of spectacle? Because, because they can make the spectacle anything they want it to be at any given moment, and they're just not beholden to anything morally or philosophically. Whereas the Democrats are actually trying to be like somewhat consistent. Democrats are actually trying to like respect institutions. And, oh, yeah. and continue to follow yeah. the rule of law and stuff yeah. like that. Well, let's talk about one left-wing spectacle right now that's psychotic. And I think we'll close with this, which it's is that left -wing. it's not left-wing. It's proto-fascism happening with women who call themselves feminists. Right. Um, which is, you know, we talked about this before, but fucking TERFs, what's up, man? What is up with the TERFs? Like, what so is this response did, yeah. to... Yeah, mm. We did a whole episode about TERFs, and that's trans-exclusionary radical feminists, and their um, whole domination, really, of the public discourse in the UK. Yes. The way that this sort of weird anti-trans form of quote-unquote feminism has become so mainstream in the UK... And just this week, like just in the past few days, this has somehow just flushed from the loo of the UK into the faces of America. Maybe via the pipes of Russian troll farms? I mean, very much, they're very much involved. But the, the, real, um, the real pipeline here is the New York Times. Yeah. Did, did you see that Pamela Paul New York Times? Yeah, movie? yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it was like vomit inducing, um, but it, it was just this um, very standard, very, very pat and 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 typical turf nonsense. And she, in this opinion piece, this woman, this woman Pamela Paul, um, basically said women are being attacked from the right and the left. The right is overturning Roe versus Wade and taking away our our very bodily autonomy and the far left wants us to include trans people in our language. Oh. It's the same thing. Wow, yeah. Yeah, it's the same thing. It's the same it's the same. It's the same thing. Don't you know that you are you are reducing women to their body parts when you say things like people with vaginas or people who can become pregnant. You're, you're erasing everything except our body parts. And if you happen to be a trans woman, you're not really a woman because of your body parts. But this is the thing. But this is the thing. Um, it's that inconsistency. And that's what I really want to talk about. Yes. But uh, oh, another example, two more examples just from recent days. Bette Midler also jumped on this bandwagon of weird middle-aged or actually older now, whatever, baby boomer 
um, fuckwits and tweeted some of the same shit. And then just recently, Macy Gray, remember her? Oh, yeah, I mean, sort of, yeah. The singer from like the early 2000s. Um, She was on um, that British guy's show, Um, Piers Morgan. She was on the Piers Morgan show. Oh, no, no. Yeah, of course. He takes any chance he can to shit on trans people. And Macy Gray comes on, and I don't even know why she was fucking talking about trans people. I don't know what the hell it has to do with her, but she was saying something about... um, she respects trans women will call the women because that's what they want and she'll do it out of respect, but they're not really women because they didn't experience what it was like to grow up as a girl and all that entails, which is like, yes, they did. Yeah. They were girls. Yeah. They, <laughs> yeah. they just, you just didn't recognize them and they had to be, you know, silent about it. In well, but also it's, it's like the whole point of all of this, the whole point of all of this is that we are not essentialized based on our gender and that this moment of trans openness and inclusiveness is a challenge to is such a challenge to that people being gender non-binary it's such a challenge to the binary and why are these feminists fighting for the binary i mean we've talked about this before but it's like why are you fighting for the binary if, if the gender binary was what was going to empower us if identifying ourselves as having uteruses and ovaries and vaginas was going to liberate us then we'd be free yeah like oh my god we, we we've we've had the gender binary for fucking ever that it's not it has not helped us clinging to that is not like like i just don't understand that patriarchy invented science and medicine and the whole idea of the gender of gender essentialism right yeah and then and then it's it's also this thing that we've talked about before like if you're mad at roe v wade you're mad at the overturn of roe you're mad at women not receiving bodily autonomy what you're mad at what you should be mad at is not trans people who are all about supporting bodily autonomy like that's the thing we talked about in the earlier episode is that what they're angry at is the patriarchy and and they and their 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 anger is spilling to the wrong place well that's why it's so wild that it's happening right now yes this flare-up is happening right in the wake of the overturn of roe v wade where it's like you you would hope Maybe these people would be like, oh, shit, I've been all focused on trans people. And then meanwhile, these right wingers who feel the right. same way I do about trans people That's right. are t- doing this. No, no. Instead, it's like it causes a worse flare up in their bullshit. A- and it-, it reveals a super fascist instinct and tendency. It's like the- it is like the pinnacle of hashtag white feminism. Yeah. Because it, it, it is absolutely women who, who have something invested in patriarchy. Yes. And they're all there to tell you about the parts of patriarchy that are not great for them. Right. That they're there for. But then the minute you start to try to chip away at other parts of patriarchy that maybe don't affect them directly, but affect trans men or non-binary people or trans women or women of color or disabled women, whatever it might fucking be. 
but in this case, it's mostly trans people. Um, it as soon as you start to say, "Hey, um, also these other assumptions that you've grown up with and cling to are problems," it's like they feel they you're erasing me. I'm under attack. I'm the victim, which is just classic fascism. And there's a article that's kind of been circulating on Twitter, and I wa really want to recommend it to people. It's a piece in The Guardian by Judith Butler from about eight months ago. Um, and I don't remember what the title of it is. Judith but Butler, by the way, being the theorist who really broke open the idea of how gender is a performance like that's yes. all of her theoretical that's work it's about yeah. that 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 judith, judith yes that judith yeah. butler she that. is a an absolute rock star in the field of like critical gender theory you could call yes. it yes um and um the article is called why is the idea of quote gender unquote provoking backlash the world over and um it's a really amazing piece that i recommend everyone read and um I will just sort of summarize it as basically she makes the point that this is an arm of fascism. It is a sign of fascism. It is of a piece with what we understand about fascism. And she looks at it from a global perspective. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. And shows how the anti-gender, gender skeptic movement, whatever, the anti-trans movement, around the world is closely tied to right-wing movements, anti-gay, anti-LGBT, <coughs> anti-immigrant, anti-migrant, and um, everything that goes with that, which you know because yeah. you know what fucking fascism is. Right, right. And she I makes mean a very clear and persuasive argument about it and point about it. And it just got me thinking. That and some other things got me thinking. And it, to me, that is what ties everything together that we've been talking about. Is That's that, right. Like the, re the reason that the left uh, or the Democrats can't do spectacle, can't do conspiracy theories, be sexy in that way. Right. Um, the reason that... Um, we uh, we can't seem to control the political narrative or win this culture war thing that the right keeps doing. It's not because we don't have as good an argument to make. It's because they don't have an argument to make. As, as Judith Butler points out, and many people have pointed out in talking about fascists, consistency and coherence matter not at all to fascists. They do not care if their arguments are coherent. They will say activist judges are the worst. They don't give a shit about activist judges. They mean your judges are the worst. Our judges are good. Just like Mitch McConnell can say, well, we can't appoint a Supreme Court justice when there's still eight months left in right, this presidency right, or whatever. Right. But then when there's like a week left in Trump's presidency, they can appoint a judge. It doesn't fucking matter. It, it doesn't matter. You are never going to find consistency. You're never going to get anywhere by pointing out their inconsistencies. The inconsistency is almost the point. And you can't argue with them because they are not arguing in good faith and because once you engage with them, just by doing so, just by engaging with them, 
You're giving them legitimacy. Right. You've lost. You're already saying, yeah, you've already lost because you're saying that what they have to say is worthy of rebuttal. And nobody knows what to do about this. People on the left, Democrats, progressives, and anyone rational, really, anyone not fascist, basically, is stuck in a difficult position because we believe in certain liberal, classically liberal ideals about people being allowed to speak their opinions and having rational debate and the marketplace of ideas and how if someone has a bad idea, you'll show how it's bad through rational argumentation or appeals to logic or appeals to emotion and then people will reject the bad ideas. But that doesn't work when the bad ideas are fascism. It doesn't work because they are not actual logical ideas. They're not based on logic. They are based purely on emotion. They're based on fear. Right. They, at the most base level. And and that's where it brings me back to our uh, our double episode, which I encourage listeners to go back to when Trump left the White House on cults um, and this idea yes. that actually when the cult leader speaks for three hours and it's nonsense, that that isn't something like, well, then how can they still win? It's it's not a bug. It's a feature. Like when yeah. you put yeah. that much nonsense out there that is inconsistent, the human brain can't absorb all of it and it kind of shuts down and then people just start acting the way the person next to them is acting. And that yeah. was actually one of when you're like, why could Trump do that in a rally? This is just like brain garbage. Why are people listening? They aren't really listening to the words. They're listening to the sound and they're cheering like their neighbors are. And that's part of what's hypnotizing. And the idea of control is also very hypnotizing and high control groups are very Mm -hmm. hypnotizing because they kind of tell you what to do and they tell you that doing what they tell you really matters more than anything and the discomforts of not knowing and figuring it out don't then have to be your problem and the discomforts exactly. and the discomforts of say like i i want to be so honest that my initial impulse to all of the pronoun stuff to a lot of what i saw as like tumblr transness among my students mm-hmm. who otherwise are totally performing and uh, getting like their like a traditional gender yeah they're yeah. well yeah they're getting they have tons of cisgender privilege when they're going to a job interview but then they're like no you called me the wrong pronoun I there were I definitely had a reaction to that right mm-hmm. but then you sort of think about it and you think what the challenge what actually a kind of sophisticated and amazing challenge that is to the binary. And then you're like, yeah, that's kind of rad. Like, why the fuck not? And I work through my initial reactive discomfort to this place of having to, like, think about it, chew on it, have it blow my mind a little bit and, like, super respect it. And that's scary. That can be really scary. And that fear, that fear is what these people are harnessing. And it's not just the fear of change and things that are different, but there are very real factors that are making people's lives difficult. Yes. Right? The world over. 
and, you know, not the least of which in the United States, there is income inequality. Yes. There is this yes. increasing concentration of wealth and power among this small group of people. Yes. Uh, you, you know, the shrinking middle class and all of that. And um, the people feel that and many other things. <laughs> people yes. feel the fear about climate change. Yes. People feel the uh, lots of... Lots of very real, very, very pressing issues weighing down on them, but they can't always identify what it is that they're feeling or they're afraid of. And even if they can, it's hard to feel like you have any power to do anything about that. And the whole point of fascism is that it takes all of those anxieties and externalizes them, gives them the face of the migrant or... um you know, the the liberal, the enemy within. Or the Jew or the, or trans the Jew. person. Yeah. Exactly. Or, yeah. Exactly. Oh. It, and those people are the ones who, as and Judith Butler talks about it in her piece, are either invading from without or from within and uh, are threatening your way of life, right? They're, and they're, even when, and even when the rules have totally fucked you even when the rules and the structures as they are have fucked you they're at least the rules you know and i feel yes. like that was what was very destabilizing about the me too movement is so many women going oh my god i was playing along with this bullshit yeah. and but it was the bullshit yeah. i knew and i was doing the best that i could within the structures that i had but maybe the structures don't need to be that way and that is always very anxiety inducing and i see that really hard with these turfs. Maybe yeah. it didn't have to fucking be that way. Oh right. no. Oh no. And you're like, well yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, it, it's ugh. true. I also see with the turfs, I don't know, I I this is speculation, but I feel like there is a weird way in which patriarchy does this thing of like, you know, women have women are second class citizens but you're so special because you have the magic of oh, giving yeah. birth yeah yeah and yeah. maybe it's hard to let go of this like i'm i special my yeah. uterus my special uterus. cradle of life yeah 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 and all those um, ways yeah well something which is like why. that oh god but but yeah it, it it to me it all comes down to that there is not a left and a right anymore. There's not really Republicans and Democrats. There's fascist and there's anti-fascist. And this is why it's hard to know what to do because you can't engage with the fascists on any level. You really can't. You, the only level in which you can engage with them that we've ever successfully engaged with fascists is violence, right? The only way we've ever <sighs> defeated fascists, historically speaking, is through a war, yeah. And it, maybe you could say we've defeated fascism um, in by by keeping it at bay as a political force in the United States. That our you know robust democratic system has kept it at bay, but that is no longer true. That just flat out. I'm sorry if it sounds hysterical to some people. It is the facts on the ground. Any definition of fascism you use, we are there. We have yeah. a fascist party in the United States, and they are taken seriously by all mainstream, uh, all mainstream institutions at all levels, the media, the government, you know, in all the public discourse, they are taken seriously as a legitimate party. So we are in a place where it's like, 
too late to nip this shit in the bud and uh, maybe too early for taking up arms, but where, what else do you do? It's really hard to know because all of the political spectacle in the world isn't going to move the needle on that. Well, guys, thank you for joining us in this live episode. Uh, <laughs> thank you for the the world is ending. And we know that you guys are on the side of anti-fascism and we are too. Uh, and we will consider how to make a spectacle or how to prepare for what's coming if we can or not. But at least we have you guys. That really yes. does give me a lot of comfort. <laughs> thank um, you so much to the listeners who joined us on this uh, Twitter space. This is our first ever Twitter space. And we and will... Maybe uh, we'll do more. We can do this. Yeah, we could totally do more. We could totally... I bet you and I could do a really short one, right? <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, listeners, come uh, join us on our Discord channel. Join us on our patreon.com slash sauce podcast. Join our community um, before they throw us in jail or hang us publicly um and <laughs> we want to hear your thoughts so come join us on discord email us saucepodcast at gmail.com on all the social medias not just twitter but the instagram as well um find us if you want to come find me uh i am at maya garance anywhere you are looking for maya garances and i am at gyno star on all the various platforms be lighting candles for rebecca's quick recovery i know that i, just, I am i want my sense of smell back my it just my went friends, away today like just all of a sudden what my, about your friends my friends who have gone through that it has come back it I has it come, back. come back it will come but back. like i can't tell you how distressing it is to not have it like i i can't taste anything it, i it, i know it will come back but it's just weird and distressing i was having a, a quesadilla and couldn't taste the cheese Oh, that's like no, that's no so at fucking all. depressing. <laughs> God. So everyone, light a candle for my sense of smell. Absolutely. And for American democracy. Share, share your favorite recipes and cocktail recipes for when her sense of smell and taste returns. Please do. And tell us what aspects of Disney intrigue you for but us also to break down. For us to break down that isn't just low hanging fruit because a lot of Disney ruining is kind of low hanging fruit, but mm, yeah. there's something help that we can help us find the angle. Help us the figure that out. Yeah. The, the the aspect of it that's under analyzed. Also, so we, we are still here for your problematic faves. So we are I'm so excited to put up the big trouble in Little China episode next week. Yes. We next have week. We have more and then coming. And we've got Top Gun after that. And we have Top Gun after that. So please bring us your problematic faves and we will talk to you guys soon. Mm -hmm.